Everybody's going for those kinky boots, kinky boots. Kinky boots, it's a manly kind of fashion that you borrowed from the brutes. Borrowed from the brutes. Kinky boots. Hello everyone, and a very warm welcome to another edition of Kinky Boots. I'm Ken Moss. I'm Simon Exton. This week we're on The Avengers, Series 1, Episode 7, Diamond Cut Diamond. This is one of the live episodes. It was broadcast and recorded on the 18th of February 1961. It was a story written by Max Marquis and broadcast in the ABC Midlands, North and, for the first time, Anglia regions. The episode is lost. Uh, There's no script, there's no telesnaps and there's only one production still, uh, which is taken from the TV Times. Big Finish have done an audio reconstruction that was written by John Dorney from a very short synopsis, which I think, again, is taken from the TV Times, but Simon will probably have in front of him from the excellent book by... Dave Rogers. Yes. There's not an awful lot to say about this, technically speaking, although all the notes online do suggest that the plot apparently shares quite a lot of similarities with the Danger Man episode, Sabotage. Simon, is that one that you've seen? Uh, no. We shall park that to one side. What's the synopsis for this? Mr. Rogers in The Ultimate Avengers. Steed poses as an airline steward in the hope that he will be invited to join a diamond smuggling gang. After a wild party, he awakes to find himself accused of a hit-and-run death. Keel confirms Steed's innocence, but Steed plays along with the gang and allows himself to be blackmailed into smuggling a package to New York. Returning home, he finds the gang leader waiting for him, gun at the ready. Steed's usefulness is over. The gang are clever enough to use a courier only once. Like others before him, Steed is to take his own life. At the 11th hour, the gang leader's plans are foiled by the arrival of Dr. Keel. Hello. 110. Well, this is unexpected. When I was told to come into the office, they suggested I pack my suitcase. They said I'd shortly be heading down to Heathrow. I had hoped I was being sent off on a holiday, with rather more convivial company. Very amusing, Steed. Take a seat. Still, one must make do. I've had worse travelling companions. Where are we off to? The Bahamas? The Costa del Sol? Hounslow. Even better. And it's just you. You'll be living in a bungalow there. Right under the flight path? Hardly Mayfair. More like Piccadilly Circus. What's the game? Diamonds. Diamonds? Well, this conversation suddenly got a lot more sparkling. We've been looking into a smuggling ring. It specialises in delivering diamonds from London to New York. We've reason to believe they're operating out of a particular airline. Oh? Globe Airlines. Ever heard of them? No. But they sound like they get around a bit. Yeah, this one opens up. It's very, very Bond-esque. Steed in his boss's office again. And they're on about diamonds. It's impossible not to, well, for myself, it was impossible not to be reminded of uh, one of those early James Bond meetings. I don't know, what was your feeling on it? To be honest, it kind of came across as neither one thing nor the other. Um, The whole big mystery drama, who is the blackmailing voice on the telephone, there was only really one choice for it to be. There was. There was a doctor who's introduced very early in the episode, and there's the airline captain who they make a huge deal about pushing their fingers of blame towards, and it's just way, 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 way too obvious. (sighs) It's another one of the the stories where it doesn't exist. 
So this has been cobbled together from the synopsis, scant as it is, anecdotes, interviews, and essentially it is a, a brand new story. I can't say that I was massively enthused by it. Yeah. It's ever, good, it's entertaining, it fits into the feeling of the time. I always there feel wasn't... really bad when I say this because this is somebody's original work with, from the past few years that I'm ripping to part and there's a good chance that they might hear it, but it's, I don't know. It, although it, it sounds brilliant, as Big Finish always does, and it fits in perfectly with the era, and it's very easy to believe that this is a script from a 1960s TV episode. But I've got to say, the, the two that we've had so far that have been original scripts or well, the three, rather, they've all fit in with the period perfectly. I just wasn't gripped, and I feel so bad saying it. I think it fits in perfectly. I think it sounds great. I think it, it absolutely does the job admirably. What it falls down on is the fact that it comes after Girl and Trapeze, and you've still got that hangover, yeah, we've seen what the real thing is like, we've seen what the big finish fan copy is like. I don't it's, know, you see. I, I've been enjoying the Big Finish stuff. And I do. Girl on Trapeze really made it obvious that it was a fan copy. It's like the difference between watching the recovered Web of Fear and the Loose Cannon Web of Fear. It doesn't alter the fact that at the time when it was all that you had, the Loose Cannon was great and entertaining, but I don't think anybody would say that it holds a candle to the recovered episodes. Girl on Trapeze was like that, and if there hadn't been that direct comparison, the other big finishes would sound better. It's like the big finish Daughter of the Gods, where you've got Peter Purvis doing his William Hartnell impression, and you've got Fraser Hines doing his Patrick Troughton impression. And you realise just how far off the mark Peter Purvis's impression is. You can't go back to not hearing that. In exactly the same way with Girl on Trapeze, you can't go back to not hearing the big finish Avengers as an amateur reproduction. And I really, really wish they hadn't done it. If there's anybody out there who hasn't heard that, watch the TV one. Do not listen to the big finish one because it will wreck the rest of the series for you. Yeah, I, I mean, we're, we're only one episode past that, so it's possible that either we've just been presented with something which isn't up to snuff, or we are comparing it to a an actual episode and it's dulled it. Which you can't help but do. You can't help but do it. I, I can't disagree with you. On the other hand, maybe this is just a dull story. I mean, I'm interested to hear more of the original scripts. I've got to be honest, the... The scripts that they've cobbled together from scant fragments and written from scratch interest me less than the original scripts they've remounted. Oh, I'm not sure about that. Nightmare was great. Nightmare was oh, really good. Yeah, in fairness, in fairness, Dan Stark okay. did a bloody good so job. So we're looking at three of them. We're looking at Nightmare, which was fantastic. We're looking at Crescent Moon, which was... Yeah, not really. And we're looking at Diamond Cut Diamond. And Diamond Cut Diamond is actually an entertaining story. We, we can make comments about the fact that there are minor errors in there. There's one of the characters that I have a bit of an issue with. But we can come up with the, these things. It's still an entertaining audio drama. I wasn't bored at any point in the hour that I listened to this. My problem is that after Gun Trapeze, you have the mindset that this is an amateur reproduction. Whereas before Girl on the Trapeze, it was, this is great. 
this is probably an audio version of what it actually looked like. I, I really think Big Finish shot themselves in the foot by adapting the existing episodes. Again, I think we're coming to it from two different viewpoints. I, do, I don't feel that way about it. And to be honest, having seen the visual version of Girl on a Trapeze, for me, it actually enhanced the audio version. I well, Yeah, but that, that's the point. The audio version, had it stood on its own, wouldn't have needed, needed enhancement. No, I, I don't mean that it... I don't mean it like that. I mean, it was very easy i mean the work had been done for me it was very easy to visualize the settings the scenery to an extent the cast with something where they're starting from scratch as ever they always sound very good i think because all of the mental work was taken out of it listening to girl in the trapeze you're suddenly back to which isn't it's never been a problem for me and you but you're suddenly back to conjuring from scratch with diamond cut diamond and because the ending of it was obvious before the end of the first act that was the thing that took me out of this one i thought well there's only really two possible options and one of them's being pushed very very hard so it's obviously not him that was my disappointment with this one I agree with all of that, and I think that's a, in in terms of quality of drama, that's a comparison that you could make to Crescent Moon. Problem is, Crescent Moon is more entertaining because you haven't already had that, this is the fan version, this is the real version, as a direct comparison. I get you, but you're, you're jaundiced towards Big Finish anyway. No, I'm I'm not. I'm really not. Big Finish have done some amazing and wonderful stuff, but at the end of the day... They do fanfic. They do good fanfic. They do entertaining fanfic, but it is fanfic. This is fanfic. If there wasn't that direct comparison between this is what the transmitted professional episode was like and this is what the amateur audio episode was like, I would find the other audios massively more entertaining. But once you've got that in your head, you can't turn it off. I've said it before, Dr. Exton, but you're a harsh man. No, I am a consumer <laughs> who spends my money on these things. And if you're going to flag yourself up as a professional organization, then do a professional product. They it's do. A- it's just, it's not. The acting styles, I've said this before, the acting styles in, you know, the, the 21st century and the mid-60s. But they've made a really big point about being as true to the 60s as they can be. So unless you're going to say that the actors aren't capable of doing 60s style stuff. I get where you're coming from and it's a valid point. But the one thing that we're seeing dying out and out and out now is the number of actors it's not unfair to say actors and actresses particularly actors aged very quickly in that era uh i think ian henry he can't have been that old when he was doing these i mean he was only 47 when he died and that was the early 80s he looks much older than his age in this there was the smoking the drinking it changes an actor's voice and the, as I've said before, the acting background, modern actors, they've got none of that. There's none of that heavy drinking subculture. There's no cigarettes I'm, to give an I'm, expectant okay. quality to the voice. Maybe not the, the cigarettes, but have you actually met many actors? 
I may have, have dosed about with them, but they're nothing like. Heavy drinking now, I look at, you know, the uh, the people that are going out now, sort of the 20-somethings. They think heavy drinking is a bottle of Lambrini, for fuck's sake. And I, I'm yeah, appalled. But they're, they're, they're not actors. <laughs> the actors that I know, actually, they're, they're not actually that heavy drinking. In comparison, I'm sort of appalled and saddened that that culture is gone. Because I really, really used to enjoy the drinking that went on with treading the boards. It was fucking wonderful. It doesn't go on anymore. Well, not with the younger ones, the older ones perhaps, but nowhere near to the same extent. It's much more clean living now. Yeah. So I do think that there's an entire, there's a massive cosmic difference between what the acting world was like then and what it's like now. And I could be doing everybody a disservice here, but they don't seem to be as, uh, what's the word? They don't seem to have the off-screen personas that they used to have. And an off-screen persona does translate to the way that an on-screen persona is portrayed. Make of that what you will. But I just don't find modern actors that interesting. I think a part of that is that we look back at the classic actors. And because we're looking back, we know exactly what's happening with them. Yeah, that's true. Have a listen to some of the interviews with somebody like Tom Hardy. Ah, well, (laughs) Well, he might be a different breed. I suspect he's just a bit more media honest. My problem that I've got, I know this is a long way off uh, the Avengers, but my problem that I've got with a lot of modern, in air quotes, celebrities is that their way of being interesting is to create dramas for themselves that are, in actual fact, fuck all. But is that actually anything new? Because you had the, the MGM Hollywood machine producing actors and actresses, and then you would have the ones who stood out from that, so your James Deans and people like that. And actually, they're the ones that people remember, but that kind of exception isn't a new thing. It's an exceptional thing, because with anything like that, it's much easier to go with the flow. We're going massively off topic. (laughs) Right. A couple of things. They talk about a coroner doing a post-mortem, and a coroner is not the person who does a post-mortem. A pathologist is the person who does a post-mortem. The thing about a coroner is that they're legally qualified, not medically qualified. Most coroners have both qualifications, but a coroner does not do a post-mortem. Yeah, how many TV investigative uh, series have there been where people who aren't qualified to go investigating and doing jobs that they're not qualified for do those jobs anyway? Quincy, I'm looking at you. don't care, it's still wrong. It is. The next thing is the scene where Fiona goes to visit Steed's alter ego in the, the bungalow. It's either badly written. Actually, I think whatever happens, it's badly written because she goes in and she gets all terribly tearful and she talks about him giving her instructions. And at no point does Steed do the obvious thing of asking, who is him? Who's this man who's giving you the instructions that you're so terrified of? That's just lazy scripting. Yeah. Uh, yes, I'll give you that. Yes, I will give you that. Somebody comes comes in and they're terrified and they're tearful. And even if you suspect that they're being duplicitous, which is what he suspects, the obvious question is, who is doing this to you? And he doesn't ask it. And that is just lazy scripting so that there is, in theory, some shock at the end about who the perpetrator is, even though it's pretty obvious from the first reel. 
Yeah, that I must admit, I didn't really like it. it this, the episode itself fell apart for me when I worked out who it was that was going to be unveiled in the end. And when it's so obvious. <sighs> yeah, anyway. My final note, did you notice the airport announcement when they were in New York? No, must admit that I missed that. Go on. It was for MJN Air. <laughs> oh, for those who don't know it, cabin pressure. A wonderful... And for those who haven't heard it, go and listen to it. Uh, we haven't done this on Oral Intercourse, the, uh, one of our other podcasts, but that is coming up in the next few months. Cabin Pressure is a series starring Roger Allen, Benedict Cumberbatch, and Stephanie Cole, and the man who wrote it, whose name I can't remember. John Finnemore. Yes. It's set on a private airline with one plane, and it's comedy gold. It's easily the best thing I've ever heard on radio. So, yeah, nice. Well, nice. I'd missed it, but what a lovely little nod there. And uh, well-deserved. So, masterminds. Watch out. Diabolical masterminds. Uh, I'm afraid it's two. I think it's a three from me. I thought it was quite entertaining. Okay, the perpetrator was obvious, but, you know, an awful lot of 1960s spy police stuff, the perpetrator is obvious. Uh, I'm with you. I just wasn't gripped by it. And um, it's difficult to know where to go with this one. I think because it was so obvious and there was no reason for it to be. Because bear in mind, the script doesn't exist, so it could have been written in any direction. There's a bit of artistic license to be had here. It didn't need to be that. And uh, as, a, as a result, I, I zoned out. And uh, as with Crescent Moon, I zoned out of that. It's a shame. It sounds brilliant. It's, as far as I'm concerned, decently acted. And everything's conjured up nicely in my head. I just wasn't enthused by it. Sorry. Fair enough. You are allowed to not like things. I know, I know. I always feel bad. I'm afflicted with a conscience, as Davros would say. I vaguely remember that. But on that note, we will sign off. Next week, we shall be back when we're watching or listening to episode eight, The Radioactive Man. For now, I shall sign us off. Thank you very much, boys and girls. Hope you've enjoyed it. See you soon. They'll be back. You can depend on it. Kinky Boots featured Simon Exton and Ken Moss, with thanks to Studio Canal, Big Finish Productions, and Alan Hayes. Title music was performed by Honor Blackman and Patrick McNee, and the program was produced by Maverick Productions. For more information, please visit maverickproductionsuk.blogspot.com or find us on social media.